thing for me because I decided I was going to put it all up on a podcast feed and people started finding me from it. And I was shocked that they were finding this podcast feed that was just about productivity and then reaching out and connecting with me. So I was like, well, I think I better continue this podcast. I think this is the direction I should go now. Podcast Junkies, welcome back. Episode 250, we are a quarter of a way to 1,000. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. If you're new to the show, this is the one where we search, search out interesting voices in podcasting, get them to kick back their heels, talk about their shows, and whatever else is tickling their fancy, if that's the right phrase. In case you missed last week's episode, great conversation with the engaging Stacey Sims, host of Diabetes Connections. Really fun conversation. Learned a lot about what inspired her to start the show and how she's been able to grow it successfully. So make sure you check that out. Episode 249. This week, I speak to Rachel Cook. She's the host of Promote Yourself to CEO, a podcast that showcases conversations about stepping into your role as a CEO of your business, along with practical strategies to grow your business. This is a bit of a entrepreneur masterclass. Rachel is incredibly smart and has been doing this for a while. In this episode, we focus the conversation on how Rachel's been able to build a loyal community, how her natural ability as a connector has helped her focus on the importance of self-care and creating positive and lasting habits. She opens up about her struggles with burnout as an entrepreneur. And as we talk about the effects of COVID, we discuss things like meal prepping, decision fatigue, and the importance of creating habits, which are really, really important for entrepreneurs to focus on. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite, and the link will be in the show notes as well. The evolution of her podcast is really interesting, and she provides an example of a challenge series she recently ran to grow her listenership. She explains her program, The CEO Collective, and throughout the years of doing this, she shares with us how she's grown as a podcast host. If you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies. This episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. If you're looking for help as a business with your podcast, we offer done-for-you services, coaching and consulting with our done-with-you services. And now we also have the Ultimate Podcast Dojo available. It's a new course and community designed to help you start your own podcast. Additional details at fullcast.co forward slash dojo, D-O-J-O. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. If you don't know what that is, it's a hashtag you can share on Twitter, but I'll only share it to people who listen to the entire episode. <laughs> so check that out. Let's get into this conversation with Rachel. So Rachel Cook, host of Promote Yourself to CEO. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Thanks for having me, Harry. I'm so excited to be here and connecting with you today. Likewise, you've been uh, in the podcasting game for quite a bit of time. I think you released your first episode August of 2015. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and I it's had a previous a podcast before this one. So okay. yeah, I've been on the podcasting scene for a while. <laughs> can you credit your interest in podcasting to someone specifically? I can credit it to not wanting to record videos to share my content. Because when I started my business and my podcast kind of alongside of that, I also had newborn twins. <laughs> and if you can imagine like working from home mm. with little tiny humans, the idea of going through everything that it took to like create a video and record and edit a video not to mention, I mean, I'm a woman, so hair, makeup, tidying up everything, finding something, you know, appropriate to wear. I was like, you know what? I just want to share what I want to share without all the stress of everything looking perfect. And so podcasting was an easy fit for me because it kind of fit into my life. Granted, it I was literally in a closet recording it when I got started, but I've loved this as a format and as a way to share my content with my community. 
So you did mention that it's not the first podcast. Which is the first one you started? So my first brand, my business actually started as the Yogipreneur. And so I had a podcast called Yogipreneur Radio where I was specifically talking about yoga businesses and non-traditional yoga businesses. So that one started in, I want to say, 2011, 2012. And when I rebranded just under my name and kind of expanded my audience, I decided it was time to change up my podcast as well. What inspired you to start the Yogipreneur? And uh, are you familiar with Elsie Escobar from Lipson? Yes, I am. (laughs) She is a good friend. Hey, Elsie. (laughs) She's one of the first people I ever heard on a podcast because I remember listening to her yoga podcast. Yeah. And what got me into the Yogipreneur, actually, my yoga teacher also had a podcast, which is funny. I left corporate consulting. I went straight through my MBA into consulting, like typical MBA track. And I burned out really hard. And I ended up on the yoga mat at my yoga teacher studio for like three solid months crying and trying to figure out like what I was going to do with my life. And she said to me, hey, Rach, I know you don't want to go back to consulting, but do you think you could help me out with my business? And it was a light bulb moment for me because... When I was in consulting, I have a background and degrees in entrepreneurship and small business Mm -hmm. management, but those businesses were hundreds of employees and multiple millions of dollars. They were small businesses compared to like multinational corporations, but not small businesses like an owner-operated yoga studio. So I was like, oh, yeah, I can help with that. And so this was 2008, and I decided not to go back to consulting I started helping her with her studio and word started to spread and we turned her studio around. So I launched the Yogipreneur to help more yoga business owners and holistic healthcare practitioners to grow their business. And since then, I mean, now we're 13 years in this year. And so it's only evolved. Like I've found that having that very specific niche really helped me get the word out there about my business. It was a very small community at the time. But over time, I really let my community dictate like where I wanted to go with the business. It looks like when you started this show, was the original name of it the uh, Get Fired Up and Focused podcast? Yes, it was. (laughs) Yes, it was. What was the intention with that name when you first started? Okay. And so this is a fun story too. So I started this challenge and this was the pivot between me leaving the Yogipreneur brand and stepping into my own personal brand. I started this challenge and I remember exactly when it was. It was January of 2014. I was getting ready to launch my signature program, my online course. And previously I had this big like three-part online launch sequence that I had a videographer help me film and it was going to be very fancy. All the things, right? Like all the product launch formula things anybody in online marketing has heard about. Well, I had it all ready to go. The holidays were there and I was in that week between Christmas and New Year's where, you know, you start thinking too much. And I was like, you know Mm -hmm. what? I just don't feel like this launch is the way I want to do it. So I put out an email to my community and I was like, what is the one thing that is holding you back from getting things done in your business and getting where you want to go? And I got hundreds of responses from them. And I sat down and I realized they don't need this three-part video series. They need something to help them be more productive. I've got productivity things that will help them get more productive And then we can layer in the strategy for their business. So I created a challenge that I literally threw together in like a week called the Fired Up and Focus Challenge. Originally, it was 28 days. Every day I sent out a video walking people through a productivity strategy. And at the end of it, I opened enrollment for my program. Well, that challenge, the first time I ran it, I did it on video, but it was like a slide type of situation. And people were asking me if I would run it again and again Mm. and again. And so what I did was I took the transcripts from the challenge. I had, I downloaded all the audio, turned them into transcripts, had an editor turn it into a book. And then I recorded the entire thing as a standalone podcast as well. So I turned one thing that I had created for my business that was video, turned it into video, audio, and print and put it out, all three of them out in the world. So you can still go buy the book, which is based on the original challenge. Yeah. And the book (laughs) is called Get Up, Get Fired Up and Focus? It's called Get Fired Up and Focus. It's on Amazon. It was an Amazon bestseller for like 
a couple of weeks there. It was very nice. exciting in, in 2014. But that was such a huge thing for me because I decided I was going to put it all up on a podcast feed and people started finding me from it. And I was shocked that they were finding this podcast feed that was just about productivity and then reaching out and connecting with me. So I was like, well, I think I better continue this podcast. I think this is the direction I should go now. I love that story. And what caught my ear there was this idea of sharing it with your community. And so were you building a community up until that point? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because when we, I talk to, to new podcasters about this all the time, you know, they like to start from zero and think that magically everyone's going to find their show. And it's much, much harder now than it was in 2015. I'll tell you that much. Yep, and I absolutely. think people don't realize that. So can you talk about when you started creating and building and growing that community because I, I feel like that was really important and it's something that can help a new podcaster like you know hit the ground running yeah i think because i've been in business for so long i've been building this community since 2008 and there were a lot of advantages i had that are are not possible to duplicate right now so i feel like it's important to be honest about that yeah, because yeah. In 2008, 2009, 2010, that was the beginning of things like Facebook becoming mainstream. Prior to that, the only way you could have been on it is if you were affiliated with a school, right? So that was the start of Facebook becoming mainstream, the start of more people getting into that. Then came some of the other social media channels that I was able to get in on very early. And I think one of the things that really helped during the early days is because I had such a strong niche, because I was very specific about who I was talking to, it helped people find me on those social media channels. So that was a part of it. Another huge part of it is good old SEO. Yeah. Because everything that I do, I'm very much want to make sure that I create a piece of content once, like you do the hard work once, and then you repurpose it, you deploy it, make it work hard for you. And search is just now, I feel like there's a lot really cool stuff happening with search on audio that I'm excited about. But if you make sure you have like your transcript and great show notes and they're all search optimized, that drives traffic to you and helps you get in front of more and more people. And the other thing I've always done, this is just part of like my nature and who I am. I'm a natural connector. I tend to diminish like I used to say I hated networking, but then I realized I actually love networking. I just hate the way that it used to be where it was very like sleazy and slimy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love connecting with other entrepreneurs, other creatives, other business owners. And there has never been a time where I didn't go to an event or a conference or even a local gathering of creative people and didn't walk away with some sort of opportunity. Like those connections have led to being interviewed here, you know, on podcasts, it has led to being in the media, it led to me being in the Washington Post, and it led to me being in Forbes, it's led to me speaking at the US Chamber of Commerce in DC, like a lot of those opportunities come from my network. So it's kind of like, there's a lot of things that have happened that cumulatively over the years has built up the community. And when it comes to the podcast, I find that People who listen to podcasts, they like podcasts. Like they really get into it. They love podcasts. So <laughs> that's why I'm I'm such a huge yeah. fan of doing interviews and being on other people's shows because that brings people to me consistently. It brings them over to my show. And then once they get into my show, they get into my world. So I find that's probably one of the, if I were to start a brand new podcast and didn't have a community, the first thing I would start doing is pitching myself to be interviewed on other people's shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many great resources. There's tools like Podmatch that make it really, really easy to get booked and then services that'll do it for you. A friend of mine, uh, Tom Schwab runs Interview Valet. So those are all great companies if you need someone to help you with that. Can you talk a little bit about this idea of networking? Because I've been fascinated by it. I recently discovered Lunch Club, which is amazing. <laughs> and it's a they set you up. It's an algorithm that sets you up with other founders and, mm-hmm. and folks, and you can decide how many meetings you want to have. But in lieu of like, I realized how much I was missing the connecting at conferences, you know, and that's yeah. not going to happen for a while, for at least another six months to a year. So I think all these resources are coming online. A friend of mine just introduced me to a couple of new ones this morning that I hadn't even heard of, like LinkedIn alternatives. When you think about this idea of connecting, networking, mm-hmm. what have you learned that's been helpful for you in terms of best practices and how to do it right and how to do it from a position of, you know, wanting to give 
as opposed to, you know, the, the sleazy way like we talked about it that, you know, where people have a bad notion of it. Yeah, I think people have a bad notion of it because if because I came up through kind of the traditional business route, like I've been to BNI meetings, right? Like I've been to these things where it's like you're going to pass around your business cards and you have to yeah, yeah. like share leads and and stuff like that. And I remember my dad is also a business owner and he's totally somebody who's like walk in a room, just work the whole room. Right. So I knew I wouldn't want to do anything like that. I'm also honest. I'm a highly sensitive introvert. So I have a hard time doing things like that. Like it literally is like too much. It's too much for me. So I realized early on that I needed to find a way that worked for my little introverted self. (laughs) And one of the practices I did really early on was I started making sure on my calendar every week I had time for a coffee date. Mm. And when I had my babies, (laughs) the twins, and then my last child, it became a virtual coffee date. It became a Skype coffee date. But I would reach out to people who I was connecting with, especially like on social media or people who were in communities I was a part of or groups I had signed up to be a part of, people who purchased courses or coaching programs I'd been a part of. And I'd be like, hey, I really love what you were talking about in this thing that you wrote. I want to hear more about your business and maybe we could support each other. Just a very like, I want to get to know you. And I did this for years. And if you think about it, if you have a coffee date every single day for a year or not every single day, every single week for a year, you'll have like 50 people who you'll meet. Now, not all of them are going to turn into people who, you know, send you referrals or give you opportunities. Some of them will, though. And you only need a few. You only need a few of those people. So I did that practice, honestly, for like the first five years of my business. And every time I would join a program, especially I'm a person who loves to learn. So I've taken a lot of online courses and basically every online course comes with some sort of community. (laughs) And I would make it like my mission. Like, who's having cool conversations in this community, in this group? I want to talk to them. Like, I want to get to know more about what they're up to and Could we support each other? Could I share their stuff? And the biggest thing I found is it's just about asking people about themselves, like what people love talking about themselves. So asking them what they're up to, what they're most excited about, what their next biggest project are is, what they're working on right now in their business, that would just open up so much because suddenly it would turn into, oh, I can introduce you to so-and-so. And facilitating introductions is a huge part of what I have found to be great networking. Like, I have had so many conversations with friends where it's like, oh, I'm really focused on this right now. Who do you know who could help me? And I'm like, hold on, let me pull out my little Rolodex here. But they return the favor. So for me, it's those types of things. When it comes to conferences and stuff, I'll be the first to admit, like, I get overwhelmed with big conferences. So I have a little introvert hack for anybody else who's an introvert. And it's to bring a wing woman with you or a wingman. Okay. As, as it may be. Yeah. I will literally take a friend who's extroverted and who's like a social butterfly and who likes to go out there and start conversations and get to know everybody. And then they will send people who I should know my way. So That's I can funny. kind of hang out comfortable, like with my tea and my notebooks and my post-it notes in my little space. And they'll be like, oh, I, I'll, they'll just send people to me the entire time. And that has been my best hack for how to get the most out of an event when you are a super introvert because yeah working a whole room is not in my dna but sitting there and having conversations at the table totally is it helpful that your friend be interested in the topic of the conference or it's better that they not because then they'd get sucked into like i'm sure their own circle of stuff as well yeah i have so many friends that we all are interested in in the same types of you know, things, entrepreneurship and personal development and marketing and whatnot. So I can always find somebody to go to a conference with me. Okay. (laughs) Always. What's some of the, what's some of your favorites when they were active at some of the conferences? Oh, honestly, there's a smaller conference here in Richmond, Virginia called RebelCon. It's a boutique conference, only about 250 people, but they have had amazing, amazing speakers, female founders coming to the stage from all sorts of industries And I've absolutely loved being a part of that. My (laughs) speaking of networking, one of my amazing clients turned honestly, my office mate, (laughs) she shares the office in the suite with me. She started the conference and has been running it for the last few years. And it's been amazing. 
And another one I've loved, and I can't wait for them to be able to do it again in person, was She Podcasts Live, which was Elsie and Jess Kupferman's event. I attended the very first one and was also a speaker. Oh, I didn't see you then (laughs) because I spoke there with them. And I think they did such a great job putting it on. And what was amazing, it really reaffirmed to me, like the community of women podcasters is strong. Like very strong and very connected and very much wanting to like cheer each other on and support each other. And that was probably the best part. It was just seeing people who you've heard their voices and your buds for so long and being able to hang out with them in real life. I don't know if you remember the opening night they had the cocktails and Mm -hmm. and the the I was the DJ. I was. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I grew up like DJing vinyl turntables, like, and I love like '80s and '90s music. And I've known Jessica and and Elsie for like years. I started my podcast in 2014. Elsie was like guest number seven. Jessica was like number twelve or something. So it was, they've been friends for a long time. And naturally, my partners and podcasting and and my partner's I love that. Uh, Natalie Jennings she does the photography she's doing she does the headshots at, at the conferences and she was doing them at at uh at she podcast but so naturally when they announced it you know that whole community of people who were like friends from that time were just we just had to be there like just to support and it's been amazing exciting to see what they've been doing building that community up yeah it was awesome it was so fun and still the connections i made there have continued. Like I've been able to deepen connections with people who I knew, but hadn't spent that in-person time with, you know how, when we have online friends, like we're messaging back and forth on social media. But then when you get the chance to actually sit down and like have dinner with them or go out for drinks or whatever, it deepens the relationship so much more. And that's turned into incredible collaborative opportunities that have been so fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, is it Arizona? for the next I one. I think so, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so fingers crossed, you know, it's obviously a lot, a lot dependent on how people feel about the vaccine and just, you know, their people's desire to be in, in a room with that many people, I think is going to be interesting to see. But I, at some point, we'll gradually work our way back to what we used to like. But I feel like there's now a hybrid now because I don't know if you've fallen down the clubhouse rabbit hole. Now people are, are discovering the app and, and engaging and, and meeting people there. So I think there's always new opportunities to connect. And I think to people who are introverts like yourself, yeah. and I love that hack you shared earlier, I think you know it's, it's always a mix because you do have to find a way to recharge after some of these conferences because they get a lot of, they get very intense because it's like three or four days of intense, like connecting yeah. and talking and walking. Exactly. I find that when I'm coming home from those, I literally have to have days on the calendar that I don't have to do anything because it's like, it does drain me because I feel like I have to power yeah. on like yeah, yeah, yeah. extroverts. It's like they're getting charged up while they're there and then they're riding on that introverts. It's like, no, we're on <laughs> and our little battery is draining. So we need downtime yeah. afterwards. Well, that's a perfect segue because you talk about in your story, this idea of um, having the burnout and, you know, how yoga was helpful for you. But I think entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. it's something that is, it's a real thing for them. It's something that sometimes just feels like it comes in waves. And so can you tell a little bit in your story about, you know, when you hit that wall, what was what were the causes leading up to it and how you worked through it? Yeah. So when I first experienced burnout, I did not know what was happening. I was very confused because I have always been like a type A overachiever, go getter, high performer, and slow down was like a the meanest thing you could possibly say to me, right? So I was confused when I started experiencing these symptoms. And for me, they started showing up as panic attacks and debilitating anxiety. I was actually driving back and forth between Atlanta and Washington, D.C. on I-95. And I was like, I'm going to have a panic attack here on the interstate. And I was terrified. I couldn't figure out what was happening. And it was just kind of like a catalyst of a lot of things that had happened. I was having some resurfaced trauma that I hadn't dealt with that suddenly I was confronted with and I had to deal with it. I was also experiencing because of the life I was living, working like 80 hours a week as a consultant, being on the road all the time. I had taken terrible care of myself for years. There is a a consequence for working 80 hours a week, grinding it out, living in your car, never seeing your family, never working out, only eating junk food, never 
really taking care of your mental or physical or emotional health. And for me, when I finally got to a doctor and they said, no, you're not having a heart attack. This is what a panic attack looks like. I realized I had to understand more about like, what had I done to myself? And I was actually in adrenal fatigue at the same time. So anybody who's not experienced that, it's basically like you're so depleted because your entire body has been running in a fight or flight response for so long. Your adrenals have been pumping for so long that now you're absolutely flat. You're spent. You have no energy. So I had to come out of that. I had to really figure out like, okay, how do I actually rest? I did not know how to rest. I did not know how to take care of myself. I did not know how to sleep. I was so used to being in that heightened state all the time that rest was very uncomfortable for me because all the internal dialogue of, well, if you're resting, you're being lazy. If you're resting, you're not going to get where you want to go. All that, you know, garbage that we tend to think if you're a chronic high performer whose entire worthiness is built on how much you can accomplish. So that's when I, the transition between leaving you know, corporate world and then starting my business, it was kind of a slow one. I mean, I kind of fell into my business because the opportunity it presented itself. But I do have to say, this is a challenge I have come up again, against again and again, because anybody who's dealt with burnout because of overworking, it is a very hard habit to break. It's Mm -hmm. not just Mm -hmm. managing the hours you work. It's also managing the mindset and the emotional health that goes along with it. Because it's easy to say I only work 25 hours a week. But if your brain is spinning nonstop the other (laughs) however many hours a week, you're still going to find yourself hitting burnout. So a lot of what I have talked about on my own podcast and work with a lot of my clients because I do work with so many high performing, high achieving women is really learning how do you thrive and how do you take care of yourself and not attach your worthiness as a person to how successful your business is or how hard you can hustle and grind. How do we instead make sure you're worthy right now and you're taking care of yourself right now so that you can show up as the best version of yourself in your life and in your business? Incredibly helpful and and always a good reminder because as entrepreneurs as well, we think that when we leave like the nine to five, that that some of that that, that stress you were feeling, whether it's from the responsibilities of your position or the type of boss that you had, because we just kind of like when we go into corporate, I was in corporate for almost 20 years. I worked at JP Morgan Chase, like big companies like E-Trade, and you could see like the people... It's almost like a, it, there's a different type of hustle, like an, not an entrepreneurial hustle, but it's like get ahead hustle. <laughs> and yeah, you climbing want, you, that corporate yeah, ladder. the corporate ladder. And it's, and you can, I can easily see how you can get burned out from that as well. And then when you're an entrepreneur, starting the business, like figuring out like, it's only me, I have yeah. to do everything, I have to wear all the hats. And this idea of having it be always on your mind in the past like six months, nine months hasn't helped either because now on top of everything else, like this anxiety of like, what the heck is happening with COVID and where's the world going to? And then on top of that, just throw in a little bit like election year drama as well, just to top it all off. And, you know, you can see like people like drinking more than they used to, not sleeping. And and sometimes I've occasionally found myself like, waking up after sleep and maybe I get six hours, but there's no, I can't go back to sleep because the mind, once my eyes are open, it's like my day starts, whether I'm out of bed or not. And I imagine that's some of the things that you faced. And so yoga, it seems like helped with some of that. And what were some of the other things that you that yeah. you did and currently still do to make sure you, you stay on top of it? I think yoga is a big part of my self-care practice. And when I talk about self-care, I'm not talking about like bubble baths and Things like like those are nice. I enjoy a good bubble bath. But self-care is about managing your nervous system to me. Like that's what it comes down to because of the anxiety I struggle with and the trauma I've had in my life. Like I've got to manage my nervous system because if I don't manage my nervous system, what happens is my brain cannot function. Mm-hmm. It The fight or flight response shuts down the front of your brain, the part that's able to make good decisions and really think clearly and flips into that fight or flight response, which is a very primal response. And we have seen that this past year. We've seen people who are in complete decision fatigue because they're trapped in the fight or flight cycle and they can't get out of it. They can't get back 
into the prefrontal cortex of their brain. They can't calm their nervous system. So it's taken a lot of practice. Like you mentioned sleep. I have to work on good sleep. I track my sleep. I wear my little Fitbit thing to sleep every night. And it tells me like, did I actually sleep well? It's funny because thinking of the She Podcast Conference, I went with my friend Angie Trueblood and we shared a room and she kind of laughed at me because I showed up knowing that I would need my rest. And I've got like my face mask. I've got my earplugs. I've got like my mouth guard. (laughs) I've got my weighted blanket. Yes, I travel with my weighted blanket. Oh yeah, the gravity blanket. Yeah, because (laughs) I know how important it is for me to get that sleep. Awesome. And it takes a lot of work. Like I have a cert, I have to take my tea and melatonin and stuff and I have to make sure I'm not watching a screen and all of these things. But it makes such a massive difference. It makes such a massive difference for me. And that's what for me self-care practices are. Got my blue blocker glasses. Right? Like that's me, my normal glasses. I got them all with the blue light lens in them. I make sure I'm always drinking my water. I check my steps and I make sure I'm moving my body enough. These things are so basic, but they're the first things to go when you are stressed out, when you're overwhelmed, when you're in that fight or flight response. We forget the basics. I forget to eat quite often Mm. and I will not eat anything. I'll have coffee all day. Yeah. And I won't eat a thing. And then I'll get home and have, you know, dinner with my family. And then my husband's like, you have to stop having second dinner. I was like, well, I haven't eaten all day. So I have to remind myself to eat all day. And so part of this for me is one, like knowing what you need to do. The awareness is huge, but then putting in systems to help you do it and making sure that you really work on those habits and track those things. So I track the quality of my sleep because I know what a big difference is. I track how much water I take because I know what a big difference it makes. My husband and I sit down every single week and the things that cause stress or anxiety for either one of us, we have a system around, like whether it's meal planning or prepping, you know, dinners, anybody who has a family, you know, that like the whole what's for dinner is like a whole thing. So we have a plan, we have a system. And that's kind of how I run my life, kind of how I run my business. It just has to be very systematized to support me. And I think the final thing is I make sure I don't just have these self-care things. I make sure I have emotional support. And for Mm. me, that means I have a therapist and I have a coach. They serve different roles. (laughs) They serve different roles. But this past year, I mean, the week that the world went into shutdown last year, I was texting my therapist and I was like, I need on your calendar every two weeks (laughs) because I knew I was already getting messages from my clients. And we tend to forget that as you grow as a leader, as an entrepreneur, you have to hold so much of other people's emotions. The weight becomes really big. Yeah. yeah. Right. Not just your clients, but like your team, your community. And we saw a lot of leaders kind of crush under that weight last year. They didn't know how to respond to the pandemic or, you know, the election or Black Lives Matter movement or any of those things. They didn't have the capacity and they didn't have the capacity because they don't have anyone holding them up or giving them support, having their back. So for me, having that emotional support is really important. And that means I get people to do that. I have the coach. I have the therapist. I have the personal trainer. I have people who are checking in to make sure I'm taking care of myself because if I don't do that, I will not be able to hold the weight of everything that I'm I'm trying to hold on my own shoulders. Yeah, that metaphor of uh, putting your own oxygen mask on first, usually it comes to mind. And I a thousand percent agree, having a therapist has been <laughs> extremely helpful both for my relationship and personally as well. And thankfully found a great one before COVID. So she was definitely helpful during COVID. This idea of coach, I've, I've been in a mastermind since I started my business and 2015 and then having that community was extremely helpful and supportive so definitely if you for the listener if if you don't have any of those resources you don't know who to turn to and it becomes very isolating and the anxiety levels just go through the roof because you know you just 
especially if, if it's someone like if you're coming from a, a corporate world and now you're in the entrepreneurial world, like it's a different set of like challenges. Like, you know, a lot yeah. of times the company takes care of all their stuff and, you know, a lot of companies did the right thing by their employees and then the challenges of working from home and all the, the benefits. But you're sort of on your own as an entrepreneur and you have to figure out like who your community is, who your trusted resources are that you can go to. And and you realize also like who you can turn to and, and who's there for you in times of crisis is when like people's true colors really show up. So it's been interesting to watch that as well. Yeah, having a Voxer thread with some of my business best friends has, it got me through last year. It got me through last year when we're like, how the heck do you deal with this one right now? Like we are literally like hashing out, how do we handle all the, cause all of our businesses were hit and impacted differently. And that that's a lifeline that I think we all need. I feel like when you're an entrepreneur, it's really easy to buy into this myth of like the self-made man or whatever. And that's just not how it has to be. You don't have to be like a lone wolf <laughs> off on your own. Yeah. If you have backup, if you have help, you won't feel that level of pressure and stress because you know you have people who you can ask for support. You know you have people who will listen to you vent if you're upset about something or will help you figure out your next step if you're stuck or who will tell you when you're being kind of silly or stupid. They'll tell you that too. And yeah, that's yeah, yeah. all valuable and important. And for the benefit of the listener, Voxer is sort of like asynchronous walkie-talkie, I think is the best analogy that I can come yeah. up with. But uh, it's a tool that lets you record messages and then people can hear them, go back, go listen to them at a time. It's convenient for them and then fly in a thread, right? Yeah. And you can have a group, which is great. So you can have a Voxer group of people and literally leave voice messages back and forth. Which I is, think Elsie had one early on too, if I remember yeah. correctly. So. I love it. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite things to use with like my clients, but I also use it personally with a lot of my business friends. I'm curious, uh, coming back a little bit to this idea of meal planning, because it's something my partner and I struggle with, and it's just the two of us here, but sometimes we're just like, you know, with all this going on, we we keep joking around the time when we can hire a personal chef for <laughs> for ourselves just from a planning perspective. So I'm wondering what's worked for you in your household. Yeah, what has worked for us has changed here and there. But I'm a huge fan. If you can hire a chef, find them. Something that worked in our favor, but also led to like the pandemic 15 was our neighborhood has always had food trucks every week come okay. in. And so when the pandemic started, they opened up and they were like, hey, we'll have a food truck every single day. And it wow. led to like all these food trucks that we hadn't had a chance to try. It became our activity every day. Like we got to yes. get out of the house. Let's go see what <laughs> food truck is there. So we probably do that like once a week, but we have used things like HelloFresh have been great for kind of dealing with, you know, two or three meals a week. There's also a lot of local companies to us that will do prepped food and drop it off. So we know a couple different ones where, you know, they'll prep a week's worth of things and then drop it off on our front porch. And we definitely use those. Like if you're like me and there's seasons in your business where you're working on a big launch or, yeah. you know, you're just really head down busy and you don't want to think about stuff. I'm a huge fan of just saying, Hey, this is the week where we're going to have somebody else handle dinner. And probably about half the time we use something like that. We just took a lot of the pressure off of ourselves this year. We stopped trying to be so perfect about it. And of course I've got little kids. So, you know, Friday night's pizza night. There's nothing I can ever do to change that. It's just what it is. Friday night's going to be pizza night. And my kids started doing this thing. This They have been very funny. They wanted to learn how to cook. So they decided Wednesday would be what they call Wacky Wednesday, <laughs> where they mix up the meals so we have the meals out of order and That's it funny. might be you have lunch for breakfast and dinner for lunch and breakfast for dinner, but they get to make the whole menu and they make it for us. That's so make, a game, that out, make like, a game out of it. Yeah. And so they're having fun with it. And so I'm like, okay, that's fine. But I tend to keep things really simple and ask for help wherever I can. The same thing with like laundry. I'm a huge fan of having someone pick up and wash and fold. I'm a huge yeah. fan of having yeah, yeah. someone else cut the lawn. I'm a yeah. huge fan of having someone else come and, you know, deal with anything that we don't absolutely need to deal with. Because right now, like all that's going on in the world, we need to take the pressure off. And if you can afford to hire some help, it's totally worth it. Yeah, it's this idea of decision fatigue, right? And like, I always remember that what 
Barack Obama said in one of his books about having the same suit, and he just mm -hmm. like he would just he would just he didn't have to think about what suit he's going to wear. Or maybe he had like two two or three colored ties and just a bunch of them and like the white shirt yep. and just like as entrepreneurs i think you know it's the little things even thinking about like when to have lunch what i'm gonna have for lunch like how am i gonna go get it and they start to add up and i think someone said you, you have a certain amount of brain power to make the, the decisions you need to make in the course of a day and every time you have to like think about something it's sort yeah. of like you're taking you're removing you know doing a withdrawal from that decision bank and that's why i think habits are so important because if you get those habits in place, then it's no longer about I have to think about what I'm doing because I already know what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm a big fan of keeping things simple. I tend to wear the capsule wardrobe. Everything's the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's the same concept. It's yeah, like yeah. put a system in place, build the habit, eliminate all the decisions you have to make, outsource where you can, and then you can focus on the stuff you really want to focus on. Yeah. I imagine you said you had that challenge when you had your business started with working with your twins in the house and you just have, they were just born and figuring out like the rhythm and how to get things done. Did that come in handy when everything happened with, with COVID and, you know, all these parents who were used to going into the office and used to having like daycare, you know, they, they didn't have that and they were struggling. A lot of people were struggling with A lot with of that. us were struggling. Yeah. 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 So I'm wondering if, if having experienced that early on helped a little bit. I will say that. The research shows COVID disproportionately has affected women, working yes. moms especially. The number was crazy. It was like 800, 900,000 women have been displaced. And it was like four times more than men, I think I saw the stuff. Yeah. yeah. And in December, 100% of the job losses were women, primarily Black and Latina women. Yeah. And it just goes to show like the inequity in the workplace starts with the, the inequity at home and the disproportionate requirement for women to be like the default parent, take care of the home, take care of childcare, all of those things. So that said, when I started my business and then had babies, I hired help as soon as I could yeah. because I knew I couldn't do it. And I think this is one thing, like people always ask me, what's it like having twins? Was it really hard? I was like, look, I don't know. They were the first kids I had were twins. I just had to get help. I, yeah, yeah. I literally could not do it all by myself. So the early days, I mean, I had a babysitter who'd come three days a week and I had a friend who was also a mom of twins, who was also an entrepreneur okay. and we did a babysitter share okay. and then we put our kids in preschool together. This whole pandemic thing kind of messed with me though, because I had worked from home since 2008 and then the pandemic started and I could not get anything done. Mm. My kids are now 11, 11 and eight. Yeah. And if you can imagine a house with an 11, 11 and eight year old in it, also a dog, also two cats, also a husband who likes to do home projects and renovations, <laughs> I couldn't get anything done. Wow. Yeah. If you listen to any of my podcasts from like that part of the year, you'll probably hear like slamming doors and like yeah, yeah. running feet. So I'm, I got an office space. <laughs> okay. Cause I was like, I have to get out of the house. Yeah. yeah. I think it is really hard for anybody who is working and living at home right now because it truly starts to feel like you're living at work and you're not able to get out. Mm. And this is where getting creative, I think, is just one of the most important things you can do. I was able to find an office space that I felt was, I mean, it's literally just me and my friend in this suite of offices. We see no one else when we come here. So we feel very safe and, you know, everything. I know some people who are continuing to go into their co-working spaces and get things done. I know some people who just had to dramatically shift the way that they work in their business. Like I know some parents, because both parents are at home, they're like one parent's taking the morning shift with the kids and then working in the afternoon. And the other parent is taking the kids in the morning and then, you know, they're flipping the schedule around. Yeah. So I think it's just about being creative at this point. And it really depends on like the stage of life you're in and this age of any kids you might have and all of those things. I don't think there's anything being someone who worked from home previously could have anticipated with how much it was a disruption to have everyone at home all the time. Yeah. Like I finally felt like I was free because all of my kids were in school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Went uh, backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Want to change gears a little bit and talk about the podcast. Mm -hmm. So 
doing it since 2015. You've obviously learned a lot about how to produce the content, how to be consistent with it. You're doing episodes. Is it mostly a mix of solo and interviews? or And is it different than when you started it and what, what the content is like now? Yeah, I have done interviews here and there on this podcast. But honestly, as we keep digging into the stats for it, we find my most popular episodes are just solo episodes. So the show is primarily me. And I think of my content as series of content. I don't really have like one off episodes that aren't tied to a thematic series of content. And this has been something I've been experimenting with really over the last few years as I was just trying to find a way to one, really make sure all of my content could be evergreen and also make sure it led to sales. Yeah. Yeah. Because it takes a lot of effort to create a podcast. And if it's not producing revenue for your business, then it's really not worth the time and effort that it takes. So I started creating series of content and usually those series are about four to six episodes long and they lead to you know, whatever the specific offer was. And over the years, I've actually got a lot better, I feel like, of just talking directly about my offer and just pitching my offer directly on the podcast. Because for a long time, I was noticing this trend in the online marketing space, especially, which I feel like kind of drives how people market their businesses, where in order to hear about a program, first you had to sign up, enter your name and email, Yeah. And then you have to go through like their webinar funnel or something like that, which required that person to then sit in front of their screen and watch the hour and a half long presentation and then hear about the offer. And I was like, you know what? My people are podcast listeners. They don't want to sit in front of a screen for an hour, hour and a half. If they wanted to do that, they'd be watching YouTube. They wouldn't be on my podcast. So I just did away with the whole thing. And what the first time I played with this idea I actually took the content from an evergreen webinar that I had been running and I turned it into the podcast series. I didn't even make people go off the podcast. And then at the end, I did the whole pitch just like I would for a webinar and invited people to go find out about the program. And it was the coolest thing because I was like, oh, I don't have to make people leave the medium in order to come get into my products, programs and services. Yeah. They'll If they listen to the whole series, they'll be like, oh, I want to work with her now. So now that's what we do. I no longer have gated content like a webinar or something like that. It's on the podcast. If I run a challenge, I put the challenge on the podcast and then have a pitch at the end of each series. Hey, if you want to learn more, here's how you can come work with us. I love this so much. <laughs> so I'm so glad you brought this up because we produce shows for clients at Fullcast and I tell them from day one, I'm like, what's the one thing you want a listener to do as a result of having listened to the episode? What's your call to action? How are you going to get them to take the next step with you? Because if you're providing this evergreen content, I, one of my clients, she calls her episodes prescriptions. Like she works with CEOs. She's like a leadership coach and she'll send them back to content and be like, go listen to these episodes. Cause I think, you know, it's what you're, you know, we're talking about accountability yeah. and she themes her seasons, like season two was accountability, season three was trust. And then she doesn't have to do the heavy lifting of, of like having these yeah. repetitive conversations because to your point exactly, like they're comfortable with you hearing you and they're hearing you in your element and in your zone of genius because I'm sure you're adding a ton of value on the episodes and, and I, I assume that's exactly what's happening with you. Yeah, exactly. And By the time they get to the end of this, I also, as they're going through this series, let's say it's four to six episodes, I'll have like two or three content upgrades to get them onto the email list, or Mm -hmm. I'll have a special landing page just for podcast listeners to go get whatever additional resources there are. So I am saying like, hey, if you want to go deeper, here's where you go. But I think removing that whole, you know, we've got to force people through this funnel in order to get them to buy from us. I think the world is changing. I don't think it's so much of a, you know, straight shot type of path to from hearing about you to becoming a client. I think we're seeing more of a sales ecosystem where people are listening on their podcast and then they go check you out on Instagram and then they want to get on your email list and then they do all, all this other stuff. So stop trying to move people so much and let them be where they want to be 
and just deliver incredible value and give them opportunities to then take the next step or connect with you. But I don't think we have to do it in such a pushy, like hardcore sales push way. It's so interesting. And I think it seems obvious when you think about it, because if they're, if they've already demonstrated that the platform that they're most comfortable in, in terms of consuming content is the podcast. And it's so funny because then to send people to, to a separate different platform, like now go watch this webinar and now go sit in front of a screen. And they're thinking, no, I like listening to content. And I think that's why the clubhouse app is becoming pretty popular because it's this, that yeah. same dynamic, but it's also, you almost have everything built into the podcast series and thinking about it, like everything you need is on the podcast. Like there's no need to go anywhere else and all the information you need and, and where to take the next steps. You're going to hear it here. So don't feel like you need to, to go anywhere else. So can you give an example of a recent series that you ran or, or maybe one that's had yeah. the most success and, you know, feel free to be as specific as possible. But I'm really curious as to like what the call to action is what either lead magnet or, you know, the upgrades have been helpful or successful. For sure. So we just ran recently the plan your best year ever challenge. It's a challenge I've run for four or five years now. And it's a five day challenge where you go through this process with me. And by the end of it, you have a 12 month profit plan. You know what your marketing and sales plan is for the next 12 months. So like I said, I like to create the thing once and then repurpose it. So I literally every year (laughs) I pick a week and we put it on the podcast. Uh, You know, we pick a week where day one of the challenge is going to go out. Day two of the challenge is going to go out. They go out for a whole five days. And when I put it out on the podcast, I just edit a little different intro type of thing saying, hey, if you want to get the workbook for today's challenge, here's where you go. So I'm giving them a lot of information about how to do the challenge. But then I'm saying, hey, the value is going to download this workbook so you can print it out and get through all five parts of this plan your best year ever challenge. So they get through the end of the five days. They've had five calls to actions to grab the workbooks as they're going through it. At the end, I have kind of a wrap up episode where I kind of hit the highlights for the five days of the challenge and then invite them to learn about the CEO collective. And I literally walk them through, just like I said, just like I would walk them through in the end of a webinar or something. I'm going to walk them through what is it that we do in the CEO collective? Who is this for? What are the results you'll get? How does this work? If you want to learn more, here's where you go next. And then they've had plenty of opportunities to somehow raise their hand to us. And we track this in our system. So how do they do that? They go. So if they've gone to download a workbook, then they're tagged because we are tracking, we're sending them to a special page from our, for our podcast listeners. Okay. So that it'll say best year ever podcast. (laughs) And we know they're coming from the podcast. And if they're coming from the podcast and they'll be followed up with, with a, series of emails. It's just a little bit different than everybody who maybe came from Facebook ads for the challenge. And you're using uh, active campaign or? We're using ConvertKit. ConvertKit. Okay. Yeah. And so we just did that mid-November. We waited until after the election (laughs) and we ran it. Literally, we ran the whole challenge and then the emails came afterwards to invite people to join us inside of my program the ceo collective and we had like 20 brand new people show up for this group that we're continuing to build on and that's about as many as we enroll each time we ended the promotion over all the black friday stuff without Mm -hmm. doing any sort of discounts yeah because they just got so much value out of the content itself out of the process of going through all of that other things that I'll do, like I'll run the series, I'll have a episode that's like the pitch. I'll also make sure I have like a case study episode where I'll bring a client on and talk yeah. about the results they've gotten from working with me. Those tend to be really popular episodes because then people are who are on the fence can actually hear somebody's voice talking through like what yeah. they got out of working with us. And I'll also do kind of like FAQ episodes where... I'm answering questions about what it's like to work with us and how do different things work inside of the collective. Are these coming out daily for this specific series? That particular one, those all came out daily. Okay. 
And other times, like, we're we're getting ready to do a series coming up next month, and we'll do, like, a Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday. Okay. Sometimes it'll just be Thursdays. It really yeah, yeah. depends on what the series of content is and how everything works out, like, on the calendar that we're doing it. That's really good. And um, can you tell people, the listener, a little bit about what the CEO Collective is? Yes, the CEO Collective is our 12-month implementation experience for women entrepreneurs. It's wrapped around the idea that we want you to create massive momentum in your business. And we do that by helping you create and implement 90-day plans over the course of a year with myself, a team of our mentors, and small mastermind groups. Yeah, you can find out more at theceocollective.com. I'll make sure we have all those links in the show notes as well. How have you grown as a host since starting the show? How have I grown as a host? I think I've gotten better. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure. I think I've gotten better. I think I have learned how to, one, think about how I make everything I make needs to be an asset to the business. I think Mm. about content as we're really building this series of marketing assets that should work for us beyond the initial time that you release it. Yeah. I tend to see a lot of content creators, no matter what platform, they get caught in this like hamster wheel of like constant, I got to churn out content, I got to churn out content. At this point, we actually repurpose a tremendous amount of, of content. And I think that's something that people we think everything has to be brand new, but there's probably an episode you did a year or two years ago that yeah. was solid, like yeah. quality content. And maybe you just need to re-record it with a couple new you know, stories in it, but the core is there. So we honestly, I think one of the biggest things I've I've learned as a podcast, as someone who has a podcast, is I don't need to be creating all the time. I can reuse what we have, and we probably repurpose a good third of our content every year, stuff that we've done before. We're just bringing it back, you know, freshening it up a little bit, yeah, new yeah. calls to actions, making sure everything is as good as it can be. But if it was valuable for people a year or two years or five years ago, it's still valuable. That's why, you know, all these years later, we ran the Fired Up and Focus Challenge in August. It started in 2014. We ran Best Year Ever in November. <laughs> yeah. We've run that every year since, what, 2016. There's certain series that I've run a couple times. I have a whole series on how to get more one-on-one clients. We're going to run that again this year. I have a whole series on the path to predictable profits. We're going to run that again this year. Like There are just foundational things that my clients really respond to. And even if they've heard it before, it's still a good reminder. Yeah, definitely. And there's always going to be this new wave of people coming in and discovering you, discovering the podcast. And so to this, you know, to that point of just like restarting, you know, renewing the content, refreshing it, I think it's, it's important for podcasters to hear because I think they do feel like anyone who's been doing it for a couple of years starts to get a a bit stressed out and thinking like, I I think I've said everything I'm going to say about the topic. And to your point, you know, that's probably the signal to go back and just tweak. Yeah you know, what you've already published. And I love hearing the fact that you actually have a third of the content that's already been created and you're just, you know, refreshing it. I figure if Guy Raz can republish episodes (laughs) of how I built this, then I can. I mean, he does that all the time. And I'm like, that's so smart. Why am I making this so complicated? But it's just those little mindset shifts, right? Like, how can we really make this work for us? Because the content you're creating is valuable and your listeners probably don't care if you had, you know, 300 unique episodes, they care about like the 10 or 20 that mm. are going to get them results. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is really good. This is so much. I had a feeling we were going to talk shop a little bit on this show. So I always get excited when we can do that because as an entrepreneur, I'm always interested to see what's working for my fellow podcasters, my fellow entrepreneurs. So, and especially when we're talking about leveraging a podcast to build your business and it's something that i'm just so laser focused on for what we do with with our agency and 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 the types of shows that we produce so any all the tips around that i think are really really valuable and i'm sure i'll be you know directing people to listen to this specific segment of the podcast episode because they're always curious like how can a podcast help my business yes you know and how to how to do it is just a matter of like having the right content in place and a framework specifically for you know what to do and how to move people to take the next step to work with you, I think is really, really great. Have a, Thank you a, so much. A couple of questions as we wrap up. Yeah. Um, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, gosh, something I've changed my mind about recently. 
That's a tough question. I feel like the one that comes to mind is I changed my mind about I would never be a homeschool mom because this mm. year I am a homeschool mom. Granted, I really should say I'm a I'm a homeschool parent because my husband actually yeah. does the okay. work. <laughs> I just show up at the end of the day. Yeah. And how has that affect, affected or did you have a previous like preconceived notion about what that experience would be like? And is that different now that you've gone through it? Yeah, I think I thought it would be really, really hard. And actually, we've turned this whole crazy year into an opportunity to spend more time with our kids mm -hmm. and do things that we might not otherwise to do. And so it's ended up being really fun, like watching them pursue their little interests. And like my daughter has gotten very into making stop motion videos. And mm. so she wanted to make a YouTube channel. And I'm like, cool, where else is she going to learn yeah, yeah, yeah. how to do the research and and make stop motion videos and do this thing? And so that's been kind of interesting. We feel like we're at an interesting stage in our family life where we can let them pursue those interests. And I mean, who knows where that might take them, you know, their interest in music or cooking or making videos or art. Like, I have no idea where that might take them. But I think it's really cool that we have this kind of pocket of time that we can let that happen without worrying about like being at school from seven o'clock until two o'clock. Yeah, it's interesting. I imagine the dynamic is shifting or changing for kids that can see their parents working at home and as challenging as that that can be and for those parents that are entrepreneurs like maybe you know it lights the, the spark for them to say oh you know, it's interesting what mom or dad is doing and they have you know they they have a business but the business is they can be home and do it and you know i imagine kids are more curious about <laughs> being an entrepreneur with everything that's been going on Oh, yeah. They're always interested in what I'm doing. And they love like I just had them in the office the other day. They come, they hang out at the office, they do their work. Like they bring their homeschool stuff. They yeah, hang yeah, out yeah. at the office. We have a pizza party and I'll sit nice. in here and record podcasts. And <laughs> I think that's what they think I do. They think I just record podcasts because that's yeah, any pizza. Yeah. Yeah. I record podcasts and eat pizza. <laughs> What's the most misunderstood thing about you? Gosh, these are really hard questions. <laughs> I don't know. I actually think a lot of people might think I'm an extrovert because mm. I can like turn that up when I need to. Like if I'm on stage speaking or if they're hearing me talk somewhere, they might think that I'm very extroverted, but I'm really not. I'm just super sensitive, super introverted. I can turn it on when I need to. I think that comes from having like I have a big background in music performance prior okay. to getting into business. And I think that really helped because sometimes as an entrepreneur, you need to be able to turn it on yeah, and yeah. be there and present and talk and, you know, have a presence. But yeah, I'm totally not. <laughs> I think it's been described as a situational extrovert. <laughs> yeah, I'm a situational extrovert. Yeah, that sounds yeah, so. about right. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for this conversation. I feel there's a couple of other rabbit holes we probably could have gone down. So, but in the <laughs> interest of time, it's so, so, it was so much fun to uh, get to learn more about you, about your business, about everything that's been going on in life. And congratulations on the success you've had with the show. You know, I started my show in 2014. I, I know it's not easy to be consistent with content and especially with podcast episodes. So I just want to applaud you and kudos for doing that and, and just continuing to have a podcast for this long. It's really great. Thank you. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Definitely want folks to, you know, I imagine there's going to be listeners specifically interested in learning more about, you know, what you were talking about on this episode. So where's the best place for folks to be connected with you? Yeah, honestly, the best way to connect with me is to just take a quick screenshot of your podcast player and then tag me on Instagram in your stories at rachel.cook and let me know your biggest insight or takeaway that you're going to go take action on. That is my favorite place to have a conversation right there in the DM. So go ahead and tag me at rachel, R-A-C-H-E-A-L dot cook. And I'd love to connect with you there. You know, that might be the best call to action I've heard for someone from a podcast because it, this is exactly what you were talking about earlier. Like, don't send them anywhere else. They're already in a, listening to this episode on a podcast. So just get that screenshot and communicate directly <laughs> with Rachel on Instagram. So I love that. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks Thank you. Thanks again, Rachel, and all the best and uh, with your business. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Rachel for sharing her years of wisdom. I was really inspired by how successfully she's grown her show. I think there's a lot of takeaways there. Hopefully you were taking notes. Full show notes 
specifically for anything that was covered are at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 250. Intro Nacho Music composed by Cedar and Soil. Thank you so much to Focus Right for being our episode sponsor. Check out their awesome line of gear, specifically the Scarlet 2i2 Pro, third generation, which I'm using in this recording, podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focus Right. Next week, I have a really fascinating conversation with Dustin Miller. He's the host of the Polymath Polycast. So that one actually uh, challenged me because of the range of topics that uh, Dustin is well-versed in. And so it's a bit wide-ranging and we cover a lot of interesting topics. And it really felt that it pushed me out of my comfort, not out of my comfort zone, but out of my normal zone as as a podcast host. It really ensured that I was keeping my focus on Dustin and the conversation. So really had a good time. If you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with CEO Rachel. And Rachel is spelled R-A-C-H-E-A-L. So that's CEO Rachel. Tag Rachel at Rachel Cook. That's R-A-C-H-E-A-L Cook. And podcast underscore chunkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Love you all. Talk to you next week.